Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello and a warm welcome from Brain Guru Studios. It's time for your favorite show and mine. It's The Call, of course. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts in one hour to go into it in great detail. It's Monday, the 19th of April. I'm Andrew Page filling in for David Koch. Today, I'm really thrilled to have two really smart cookies in the room to help me get through these 10 stocks today. Robert Corlett from Macro Capital. G'day, Rob. Andrew, how are you? Good to see you survive the weekend. A bit of a hairy one, from as I, I understand it. I only just made it. Just yeah. made it? Yeah. Well, you're here, which is the main thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a show favorite, Gaurav Sodhi from The Intelligent Investor. Always good to see you, Gaurav. Hey, Andrew. The voice, the voice are not, not so great. Yeah, I've had two weeks with my kindy-aged child. <laughs> And it's my first holiday. Say, say I, no I've more. struggled to get through it. <laughs> yes, okay. All right. Well, we will do our best to uh, to get through it all. Uh, as always, though, we do start off with a stock of the day, something that is in the news. And today we thought we would talk about SIMS. The code there is SGM. This, of course, being a metals and electronics recycling company, one that's been around for a while. It had some news and a pretty uh, good announcement today, expecting a real boost to earnings in the year. They've had improved scrap volumes, they've had improved prices, uh, and the outlook has some risks. Uh, there will be some volatility, as is always the case, but they are positioned to benefit from global infrastructure spending. Gaurav, I'm going to start with mm. you. So they're calling here underlying EBIT to be in the range of 260 to 310 million. Mm. Top end of that range will be a record, mm. as I understand it, and not too shabby compared to a loss of 58 million in the prior year. What do you reckon? An amazing result. This is a remarkably complicated, difficult business. I think of it more as a um, as a steel company, but instead of constructing steel anew using raw ingredients, it actually collects scraps and moves scrap around. Um, and it does have competitive advantages. I know it looks when you look at the numbers, it looks like an atrocious business on on all counts. It's it's I was heavily mention it. yeah. it's heavily geared. There's a lot of capital intensity. The historical returns are terrible, but this is. But, uh, <laughs> but I think I think it is better than it appears. Yeah. Um, there are real competitive advantages here, and um, they come with logistics and um, the locations where their where their um, where their transportation and their processing facilities are. Uh, that's where uh, they're strategically located. So you get the cheapest movement of, of scrap metal around in the world. Um, 
you know, scrap is, is not worth very much and it costs a lot of money to transport. So if you are going to be recycling scrap into new metal, you mm -hmm. need to be able to move it around very cheaply. And by tying up important ports and important processing facilities strategically located, if you're gonna be in this business, these guys are the best, best guys to do it. Um, w would you be in this business? The, this is a, a business we've looked at um, throughout the cycle. There are times to buy it and times not to buy it. Mm -hmm. Generally, when it's making record profits, is not the time to buy Sims Group. Mm -hmm. um, the last time I looked at it was, you know, in the six to eight dollar range, and um, geez, look at look at that. that and it's gone up a lot. Yep. Yeah. Um, we just had other opportunities. Yeah. As I said, it's devilishly complicated. I think it's actually reasonably managed. Yeah. Um, our rule of thumb with Sims is that the uglier it looks, the worse the outcome, the less interest from everyone that's your opportunity okay and i think the opportunity here is probably largely gone there's probably some 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 upside to come that generally does not make one good result but the opportunity for um as, as i think has largely passed I, I would probably give this one a miss but investors too often ignore or malign this company and don't recognize that it does have some real strengths it's one to keep in the in the folder for the next down cycle yeah and that's the way we, we usually play it that's that makes a hell of a lot of sense robert would you agree with that, all of that yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, the, the big pop today, it's up 9.5%, was based off the uh, beating analyst uh, forecast yep. by about 91%. So it was a massive Whoa. beat. Yeah. Um, look, we wouldn't buy it at these levels either. Mm -hmm. um, you know, If you wanted to, we'd be happy to accumulate it, but it need to have a nice big pullback for us to get invested. It's run so well, as you've seen from the chart. Um, you know, it, it operates on some fairly low margins as well, which is always a concern for us. Yeah. But um, look, obviously, you know, congratulations to the board and the guys who run the show because to beat analysts by that amount, you're doing something right. It's not bad. I will just say one other thing too. Yep. They were, I think this is a good sign of the JobKeeper program actually um, succeeding. Mm. So they were offered out about um, six and a half million last year in JobKeeper. Uh, seven and a half million this year, mm. this financial year, and yep. they're actually returning the seven and a half million from this year. So, um, you know, one of those cases where the job keepers kind of kept the wheels turning. Yep. Uh, they actually are going to return some of the money, unlike some of the companies we know. No, no, no names mentioned. We won't mention any. No. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so look, well done to uh, to the management there uh, for the results. Fantastic. I okay. just add, if I can, yeah. that um, you know, in, in these heavily cyclical businesses. I think sometimes management gets too much credit for when things are good and too much blame for when they're not very good. Yeah. This happens to be actually quite a reasonably well-run company yeah. and it has to be because it's devilishly complicated, but the current results have very little to do with management involvement in my view. Yeah. Um, they're just writing a, a cycle which they prepared well for historically and last year's results and the last few years results in fact, again, I wouldn't blame management for those poor outcomes. When scrap metal prices fall, um, what, do you, what do you do? What do you do, exactly. What, what they, do? they work on yeah. razor thin margins. The way these guys make money is by, by movement of, of metal. Yeah. Um, and when they don't have much margin, um, you're still moving the same amount of metal and there's not much you can do. So um, just, just keep that in mind. The numbers, I wouldn't pay too much heed to the profit and loss. It's, this is a cyclical business and it's best to play it as such. I'm, I'm trying to think of the Buffett quote, which is when a, uh, a business with a reputation for poor economics meets a management team with a reputation for brilliance. It's the it's the business's reputation that, that remains, remains intact. intact, something mm. like that. You were going to add, Robert? I was going to say the margin's less than 2%. Less than 2%. About 1.8%. So wow. very skinny margin. Wow. And it shows you too how like small top line movements can have such a radical oh, yeah, impact to the, to the yeah. bottom line. So yeah. um, fascinating business, uh, but it is a no from both of our experts. Let's get stuck into the ones 
that you have sent in and Kim has ju done just that. And here's a really fascinating one. Uh, Sydney Airports, uh, the ASX ticker code there, SYD. Well, you know, we all know what's been going on over the last 12 months and, and unsurprisingly, Sydney Airports has really copped this one. They reported uh, in FY20 passenger numbers down 75%. I think on an international basis, it was near enough to 100%. It was, it was pretty brutal. Interestingly enough, Robert, I'll start with you. I had a quick look at the, at the analyst forecast and we just had an example before of how yep. that's not always uh, bang on. <laughs> yep. um, but they're sort of saying, uh, again, at least according to the consensus, that we're not likely to see a recovery here until FY23. Mm. Is it too early to get into Sydney airports or is now the opportunity to do it when, when, when things are sort of down and out? Yeah, it would definitely be categorised as a recovery play. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not where we would want to be. We prefer Webjet. Oh, yeah. um, look, I guess the, the good thing for Sydney airports is they've got the travel bubble uh, today being announced with Australia and New Zealand. Uh, that's their second largest destination. Uh, it accounts for about 20% of their flights. Uh, Asia is X, that so? Yeah. Oh. Asia X China accounts for 30%, and then China itself as a mainland accounts for about 12%. Okay. So it's pretty good. Um, obviously, international travel typically uh, accounts for about 50% of their revenue. Mm. Um, so yes, the government's spending $1.2 billion on half price tickets, but that's domestic. So it doesn't kind of address the international scene. Yep. Um, and the general consensus at the moment is that the international travel uh, won't be back to normal until about 2024. So right. if analysts are pushing it out to 2023, you kind of get a feel as to why. Yep. So, um, you know, they weren't able to do much cost cutting um, during COVID, like a Webjet and Flight Centre. Yep. So for our likelihood, you know, going to Webjet uh, should be a safer play. A, a more interesting one. Do yeah. you agree with that, uh, Gaurav? Or would you be interested in Sydney airports at these prices? Or are there better alternatives for that recovery play? Sydney Airport was the first stock we bought in the downturn okay. in March. Oh, you um, bought it in March? In March. Oh, well done. Uh, it was the, the, I mean, we were, um, all, all the analysts working at I went through the GFC together. Yep. And during the GFC, what a great training ground! Oh, by the it was way. it was yeah. the best um, training we've uh, I've ever had certainly. Yeah. Um, and we one of the lessons we learned was that you know when there's widespread panic, have your hit list together. It's not the time to start doing primary research in the panic. You need to know what you're going to buy before you buy it, and that, that's have everything true always, organized. Right? Well, but that's probably right. Yes. True. Especially true. I totally agree yeah. that point. Yeah. So Sydney, um, Sydney Airport, um, Auckland International Airport were the two um, businesses in the contingency planned um, that, were, that were bought right off the top. We were probably a bit early because they fell a lot more. Uh, honest, and we honestly, kept on buying, so I it was think, fine. I think picking the bottom is one of the biggest yeah. mistakes people make when we have these. Everyone says, mm. in the next crash, oh, I can't wait for the next crash because I'm going to buy all these shares. Yeah. And then things start falling off a cliff and we all go, oh, I'll just wait a little bit until, you know, I, I think, and this is a great example of that. Having missed the bottom, mm. do you really care too yeah. much today? Not I mean, it's, it, it's it's one of those things. It's, it's like if it is if it is a good value and you had that long term view, close enough is good enough, really. When it and comes being to in it. the stock was more important than hitting the bottom. Yes. You know? Yeah. If you were, if I I would be annoyed um, if we had not missed the opportunity because really it was very obvious. Yeah. You didn't have to be a genius. I mean, we did. I mean, we knew the business, but we didn't sit there doing M, um, MPV spreadsheets and right. going through the, the the accounts in forensic detail. You know, yeah. it was it was. Pretty obvious that one day airports would open, he's a monopoly asset, it's probably going to be okay. Yeah. One of the interesting things I think about uh, um, 
just to nerd out for a little bit, if, you, if you're going to do DCF, discounted cash flow analysis and all the rest of it, I mean, it's, it's fraught with dangers because of all the forecasts you need to make. But one of the interesting things about it is that you, because it, it is uh, a sum of all of those cash flows out to infinity, mm. you can really just wipe out the first few years. Okay. And it, it has an impact, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like the thing goes to zero or even drops down 50% or so. There's, the, there's a lot of value in the tail yeah. there. And I think, I think that's a good example of, of that. So, it was, sorry, it was, it was a note from um, Rob uh, Gorov. Um, would you buy it today? I, I, we've actually already sold Sydney Airport okay. um, and Auckland Airport for that matter. Um, I think things might look different in the future. Mm. I'm concerned that the, the terrific returns we used to see from Sydney Airport a lot of them were a result of leverage. This is actually one of the highest debt-owning businesses on the ASX. Yeah. And I've been comfortable with that in the past. It's a secure monopoly, um, some regulated, non-regulated revenues. It can handle a lot of debt. Yeah. It's fine. Kind of like Transurban in that sense. Like Transurban. Yeah. I mean, the debt, the debt um, doesn't concern us too much. But going forward, I, I don't think any regulator or any bank will allow airports, especially, much less um, um, other regulated businesses to, to carry so much debt. So a lot of the financial upside will have gone simply by virtue of the capital structure of the business in the future. Mm -hmm. There's no way the board's going to carry as much debt in the future. There's no way a bank is going to lend as much mm -hmm. in the future. I, I think you've got to be prepared for a lower returns um, as an equity holder from here. So yeah. I, I, our best guess is you're probably looking at sort of five, six percent return. Okay. Um, which is probably not enough to mm. get interested. There's, mm. there's still, believe it or not, a few interesting ideas out there, not at the top of the list. I would even say this is a, a potential sell candidate mm. um, to go and buy something else. But if you're more conservative, you can hold this and still get a, sing, a, a mid single digit return quite comfortably. I myself would probably sell and look at something else. Yeah, it's hard, hard to get too excited about mid single digits, isn't it? Um, let's. <laughs> One, one stock, uh, two stocks, including a stock of the day, and we're already quarter past the hour. So uh, okay. this, I am just a sucker for this. There's too many interesting things to say. Um, Gaurav, back to you. Let's talk about New Hope Corporation. And there's a potential rabbit hole to go down here as well, because we've got the whole, you know, uh, uh, issue with broader, broadly with, with coal and what's going to happen there. But this is... It's a fascinating business. It's been around for like 60 odd years That's or right. so. They've actually de um, delivered a lot of cash flows, paid a lot of dividends. I think um, uh, Salt Pats pretty much owns uh, virtually all of it, don't I think they? it's about 60%. 60, sorry, yeah. all, all, definitely yeah. a strong controlling interest. Uh, mindful of time, mm. um, but, but coal in general and, and New Hope specifically. So we own New Hope and yep. Whitehaven, and I personally own New Hope and Whitehaven. We've lost money sitting on New Hope for quite some time and made money on Whitehaven. Um, one of the lessons I've learned over the years is, is the, what, the quality you need to outperform. As not, as, I mean, you need some analytical skill. Mm. You need some behavioral um, predispositions. But what really helps is your ability to sit there and look like an idiot for a long period of time. If you I'm, can, I'm a master at that. <laughs> I don't even have to try. I really <laughs> do think if, if you can do that, if you mm. can be willing to be the fool for a number of years, be completely counter and counterintuitive, countercyclical, then that's where some of the, the strongest returns can potentially come from. Yeah. That's certainly been my experience. And a new hope in coal, thermal coal in particular, falls into that category. Yeah. Nobody wants to touch it. You, the mere mention of it um, sends things flying your way, um, bad words being spouted. Um, no one wants to look at it. Banks don't want to lend to it. No one wants to mine it. No one wants to invest in it. Mm. No one even wants to do work for them. Right? Yeah. It's hard to get contractors to work for them. So. Wow. 
here's a, a very important industry that with a depleting resource base, mm. and there's hardly any new investment going in. These are the perfect circumstances for higher prices. Mm -hmm. And indeed, thermal coal prices have doubled in the last 12 months, and they're at very healthy levels. Um, new Hope's share price hasn't actually moved very much at all, which is frustrating. But they own a but really- But good news if you're a potential buyer, right? I think so. I think so. I think there's an opportunity here. They mine um, a, a thermal coal mine in New South Wales known as Bengala. It's mm. one of the easiest geological deposits you'll find. It's a single, single hole in the ground. One piece of machinery sits on the top 24 hours a day. It just goes back and forth. There's mm. a couple of trucks around. Mm. There's very little geological risk. And um, we just saw some risk in Narrabri, which uses long wall mining. Mm. Sorry, that's just from Whitehaven Coal. Okay. It's a long wall mining method, which is much more complicated, much more prone to risk. Here we have a simple open cut hole in the ground. Very little goes wrong. It's been operating for years. Lots of uh, res uh, lots of deposit left in, in that mine. They've or? got probably twenty to thirty years oh, okay. left, um, okay. and they've got a mining license that will last um, another thirty years, I think. Right. And they've got permission to expand um, output as well. So there's, there's a lot of things in their favour. It's one of the lowest. I think it's the third lowest cost thermal coal mine in Australia, mm. um, and I reckon at normalised prices, about seventy US dollars a ton, you should be able to get one hundred fifty to two hundred million dollars of free cash flow out of Bengala alone, you're looking at a double-digit free cash flow yield. I just think this is too good to pass up, and well, I'd, I'd buy it. Well, if, if Rob Milner and the, and the crew at uh, Solpats like it, that's that's usually a good sign uh, as well. I really hear what you're saying, though, too, on, on looking silly for a long time. Mm. Was it Peter Lynch, or it was one of those famous US investors, basically said that well, the best gains always come in the second or third year after you hold something, which has definitely been true for me. I think there was and, a study about how um, the best-performing fund managers have spent some time as the worst performing fund managers. Yes, yes. Uh, if, if unless you're at the bottom of the list, you're never going to be at the top. Yeah, yeah. There's a correlation there. And I think it's a real competitive advantage in the sense that all of us crave instant gratification, Correct. of course. And so for those that, that can overcome that terrible uh, bias, it is it is a incredible edge. Robert, would you buy um, New Hope? No, I'm going to respectfully uh, disagree. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, a, it's an easy sell, actually, for okay. us. Um, I get the idea of um, you know, buying things that are out of favour but they still need to have that long-term thematic behind them. And we don't think coal is a long-term survivor here. Mm -hmm. um, great, they've got a mine life that might go for 20 or 30 years. Are we gonna be using the same amount of coal in 20 or 30 years? We don't think we will. You know, it's more likely to be something in that renewable energy space. You know, we've seen Fortescue already, you know, when they could have just you know, buckled down and just kept on producing the iron ore, they've already come out and said, no, 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 we need to become the global dominant player in, in renewable energies. Mm. Um, you know, we would could not uh, be buying it here, unfortunately. Um, the other thing that's probably keeping the share price down at the moment is uh, a legal claim that's uh, being run against some of their subsidiaries. Um, there's a $174 million uh, legal claim and maybe some, some fees on top. Um, they had two subsidiaries, uh, Northern Energy Corporation and Colton Coal. And oh, apparently yeah. there were claims that they were there were some voidable transactions and breaches of uh, directors' duties and insolvent trading and things like that. So okay. uh, until those are resolved, I don't think the upside will be very much. Yeah. Uh, and then as a longer term play, I don't think there's a huge amount of upside. Yeah. I could be wrong, but um, look, I, I prefer to be in something that I know I'm very comfortable that I've got longer term thematics in place. So. We'd, a bit of um, a wind at your back. Yeah, yeah. Look, we'd, we'd direct clients into something like an Oz Minerals, which is heavily exposed to copper. There's a very high uh, positive correlation between their share price and the copper price. Um, and if you're wanting something else in the commodity space, we'd probably go to something like a, a triple zero. It's an ETF run by beta shares. 
um, you know, just basically playing a recovery in um, global um, demand for oil. Okay, there you go. So James sent that one in and I always love a divergent view there because it gives a bit of balance and a bit of something for everyone and, and hopefully that has helped you with New Hope. James, uh, let's move on. Rob, I'll stick with you. Uh, speaking of uh, mining companies, Regis Resources, Helen wants to know. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a WA gold miner. You know, my anyone has heard me ramble on before, my eyes, roll, my eyes always roll a little bit when mining stocks come up. But we've just had a couple now that have had some pretty impressive histories here. These guys, um, a good history of growth and really consistent one at that as well, even offering a dividend at 5%, mm. which ain't too shabby. Um, now, gold has been a bit of a, a, a headwind for them at the moment, down about 20% since August last year. Yeah. Is now the time for Regis? I think if you're long term, um, this could be an opportunity on a fundamental basis. Um, what's going to um, hold up the, the share price from running higher in the short term will be this entitlement issue they've just done. So they've made an acquisition uh, of a company called Tropicana Gold oh, yeah. Project. Um, they're taking a 30% interest in that. It's going to cost them about $900 million. Uh, they're doing a $650 million raise uh, for existing shareholders. Uh, you can get one new share for every three shares roughly that you held before at $2.70. Um, before the announcement came out, it was trading around three twelve. dollars uh, With the dilution uh, of the uh, capital with the new entitlements, gives it a, a fair value around three oh two. dollars mm-hmm. um, So it's obviously trading a significant discount to that mm-hmm. uh, and likely will stay that way for a few weeks, I'd say. Um, look, we had clients in Regis Resources. We thought it was one of our preferred gold names as a hedge against the portfolios. We did ask them to move out of that name uh, a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, it looked very, very sick around the $3.60 range. We use that as a stop loss, $3.60, um, So I don't think we've got very many clients in it, if any. Um, we may- Looks look- like a good move uh, so far. Yeah, so far, we've been a bit lucky on it. Uh, look, it was, it's purely just a hedge uh, mm. against the portfolio. So the rest of the portfolios have run well. Um, but yeah, here, maybe long-term, fundamentally, there's some value here. I always like to get a tick from the technicals as well as the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a screaming technical um, divergence to say, look, yep, there's a good, strong sign that this could be the bottom. Yep. So I'm going to wait for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on that signal, um, we'll, we'll run the numbers again. If they still look strong, maybe gold starting to come back again. Yeah. We'd go into it. Um, our thought on the bigger gold play is um, Biden's doing this huge stimulus package. Mm. Um, that's going to cause the US dollar um, in the short term to have some issues. Longer term, it'll be fine. But when that happens, people might move into gold. And so we might see gold start to move again. They'll need a couple of data points. And we know from fiscal stimulus, um, typically there's a three or four month lag. Mm. So you might be waiting a couple of months before you see gold start to move again. But at that point in time, yeah, something like Regis has been sold off very heavily, uh, could be a play for you. Okay, there you go, Helen. One for the watch list, according to uh, Robert. Gaurav, what do you think about Regis? I've been a mining analyst for 10 years. um, And I have learned in that time exactly how to value a gold miner. Okay. You stick your finger in the air <laughs> okay. and, uh, and wave it around. No one knows how to value the it's price hard. of gold. I, I wouldn't hard. even start there. Forget about yeah. what the price of gold is. Okay. You're not going to know it. No one knows okay. it. Just forget about it. Um, is this a good miner? Um, what do their deposits look like? What does the risk profile look like? Put some sort of normalized price of gold in there, a low one, Yes. and see what come, comes out, what kind of cash flows nice come out. Nice fat margin of safety. Yeah, nice fat yeah. margin of safety. The way to approach gold miners is not as, uh, in my view, not as currency hedges or as Bitcoin hedges. I mean, these are businesses and the best gold miners are run as businesses. Mm. 
we're fortunate in Australia that we probably have the best miners in the world. And this is a new phenomenon. I, when, I mean, I mean, I've been very negative on gold miners in Australia for, um, for a long time. Over the last five years, uh, something has happened. Um, the mining, gold mining industry has dramatically changed. You've got some terrific CEOs in charge, yeah. um, some good businesses now, and um, they're actually spitting out cash, reinvesting properly, capital allocation matters, return on capital matters. This is all great stuff. Longer right? term thinking. And, yeah. all, all the stuff you want to see from a business, yeah. um, but you never saw from the gold mining industry, mm. is now evident in the gold mining industry. Okay. Regis is a good example. This is a well-managed company. Yeah. I would say geologically, their legacy mines are average, mm -hmm. well-managed, but mm -hmm. average. What they bought in Tropicana is a spectacular gold mine. 30% okay. interest from IGO. Anglo Ashanti runs the other half and runs it well. I'll be surprised if Anglo don't preemptively buy this, actually, because uh, it's, a, it's a very good mine. Mm. I think they paid up for it, values the mine about $3 billion. I think that's a bit rich, but um, that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. If I were buying a gold miner, I would buy Evolution Mining, um, Gold Road, Romelius, and Northern Star in that order. This would not be in my top five, but this is still a very decent gold miner. And okay. that just shows you the depth of quality we have in the Australian gold mining space. A lot of them are very good. Very interesting. So I put a hold on it. Okay, um, okay. Uh, but but in my view, there are, there are probably better miners, but there's nothing wrong with this one. This is a decent miner too. All right. So, We're also interested in Gold Road as well. Okay, interesting. Okay, two ticks there. So uh, what have we had? Uh, we have Black Gold. We've had Gold Gold. Let's go to White Gold. Um, well, at least that was the case for a little while. That's, that is a, a horrible segue. I do apologize for that. It's pretty bad. Actually. It is pretty bad. <laughs> Instant regret. Um, A2 Milk, Maggie wants to know, and she specifically said, is there any signs of improvement in the share price? This is... Oh man, this needs to be a five hour show because there's so much to say here. Shares down 60% since mm. June last year. Before that though, shares were up five, uh, sorry, 20X in yeah. the five years prior to that. It was absolutely one of the, the superstars out there. Then of course, COVID had hit, that's completely wiped out or certainly done a lot of damage to the Daigu trade. So the million dollar question here is, and, and probably the billion dollar question given the size of the company here, is this a one-off thing associated with 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 COVID mm. or is there structural factors at play? I know that's a big question and I know I've rabbited on a lot, but also mindful of time. What's the short answer? You're daring me, aren't you? I am. Daring. <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> All right. Um, look, the short answer is this has been confounded. A2 is one that I've got wrong all the way on the way up. Me too. Yeah. I did not think there were any advantages in there. I thought, um, why should the label maker generate the returns when it's the owner of the A2 herd um, that can actually you know, replicate the supply. Mm. I expected more competition. It just hasn't happened. Um, and I think I got it wrong because I viewed this as a milk producer and not as a brand. Mm. When we compared the returns against other milk companies, this was the most profitable milk business in the world yeah. by a mile. Yeah. When we compared it against other global brands, this was a above average global brand. And that's the way to, to look at it. Yeah. My concern is that the that this is actually a, a infant formula business, not really a dairy business. Yeah. And um, the margins look extraordinary in China. Now we've, we've spoken to a few people in China and it appears that from anecdotal um, conversations, something has happened in China. Things have changed. Um, in the past, foreign brands were sought after. A huge premium was paid for foreigners. For, for being international. Yep. Since COVID, actually having English on the tin. In, yeah. Actually having, there was yeah. actually different prices paid for Chinese and English tins. Yeah, um, same product. Same di product. Different tin. Different tins. Yeah. 
But since COVID, something has dramatically changed. Um, Chinese-made goods are now considered superior in China. Foreign companies aren't getting the premiums. Foreign brands aren't being embraced as premium. It has something to do with the bungling of, of, of uh, Americans, in particular, um, COVID response. Yep. The fact that China did so well out of the crisis. My concern is that what made the margin so good, made brands so impressive, it no longer is the case. Mm. Um, Superficially, it looks like a very attractive opportunity. The valuation is attractive. The management's great. But this is far too risky for me. Um, I, I think it's going to get taken over, actually. Oh, yeah. If I was a Chinese business, I'd be taking this over. But um, I, I don't have a clear insight into the business. There's a few risk factors I don't think the market quite appreciates. And for me, I'd just be stepping away. So um, an avoid or a, or a sell for me, I, I, I'd, I'd be I, elsewhere. I, I think that there's, there's so much um, to, to dig into there. We don't have the time there. Mm. But I think one of them is is that when something is too hard, there is no shame in saying, I don't know, mm. right? Like there, the there, yeah. there are easier things <laughs> out there. You don't, don't have yeah. to force it. Rob, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, uh, I think Kura's right. Um, we wouldn't be touching this one. In fact, we actually spoke about this, uh, I think maybe last time or the time before I was on here, yeah. and we said then it was a, a sell or a lighten, and it's fallen about 22% since then. Um, the issue with, that they've got over in China is, um, you're absolutely right. Um, the foreign brands, as they saw them, were always trading at a premium, so there's a nice big healthy margin there. Uh, the reason was because they there was this sense that the local producers were maybe cutting their infant formula with manganese, uh, which is obviously very harmful to infant brains and things like that because it increased volumes. So because of that, they're like, look, we can trust these foreign brands, so they pay a premium for it. Yeah. My understanding is that there's been a large uh, Chinese um, producer who's moved into the powdered formula space in China, mm. and their reputation is of a high standard. And so now some of the flow, there were people going, well, look, instead of buying this foreign brand, A2 Milk, let's start buying this other one that's a bit cheaper because uh, we trust that it won't be cut with all these chemicals that might be harmful for the children. Yeah. So um, that's probably uh, impacting it quite a lot. And obviously anything that had expansion to China was valued at a huge premium beforehand. So that's come off the table completely. You mentioned the Daigu channel. Um, yeah. Look, we are seeing that the borders will open up between Australia and China for um, probably first of all will be the students. And it's typically the students who are using that uh, Daigu channel to buy here and sell there. Yep. So that might help them a little bit. Um, look, as a turnaround play, technically you might get a small bounce up to about 10 or $12. I'd much rather um, let it go, wait for it to get above the 200 day moving average, which you know, I've talked about quite a lot. I see some institutional buy line. That may mean waiting until it already gets up to $12 and then looking to buy it, knowing that you've got the support of the institutions behind you. Mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right that um, this may very well be a takeover. And by the time it gets up to that $12 level, the, the bid might already be out yeah. there. So this might be something you just stand back, wait for it to recover, yeah. and then you actually just miss it completely. Yeah. So yeah, we, we wouldn't get involved at all. China is, is such a double-edged sword, yes. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just, it get, the market gets you know, rightly pretty excited when mm. there's opportunity there because it is such a huge um, market, but it is, it is a frontier market in a lot of ways. Yeah. And when things move against you, and we've seen it happen, well, Blackmores is another classic Treasury? example. Yeah. Treasury, yeah. of course, yeah. So, yeah. And, and perhaps A2. So let's move uh, right along, Rob. Um, something completely different here in IRIS. Uh, IRE is the code. Lachlan wants to know, 
I used to really like this business mm-hmm. a, a long time ago, but there's just there's been no growth uh, mm. in a long time. Is this just a bit of a stall before the next leg up, or, or what do you think? Yeah, so Iris used to be basically dominating uh, the space. Um, you know, on our side of the phones, all the platforms were all Iris. You know, you had yeah. different levels of Iris. Um, our data on Ausbiz is provided by Iris. There you go, fantastic. Yeah. Um, look, there's been a number of um, uh, kind of brokers who have actually started to try and create their own platform and just get pay the royalties directly to the ASX. So that's kind of diminished a little bit the uh, lock that Iris had on the market. They've tried to um, move away from the space or at least add to that space. They've made three acquisitions in the last two years. Uh, the most recent one, I think, was a uh, fund management business. Um, would allow them to allow you to actually trade unlisted managed funds through their platform as well. So um, look, there's some evidence there that they understand that the market that they just kind of lived on for so long may not be there in the future and they're starting to make plans to uh, pull revenue from other places. Um, Look, it's not something we would get into right now. Uh, We would accumulate it on some more weakness, Mm -hmm. but right now um, it's already had quite a nice rally of 10, 11% already off the bottom. Uh, we'd wait for some more evidence for a turnaround before we got involved. Great. I actually largely agree with that. Yep. Um, this is a confusing stock in many ways because it remains a very high quality business. It's superbly managed. Yeah. Capital allocation is, is splendid. They, the acquisitions that Rob's talked about, they've actually worked out really well. Mm-hmm. But you take acquisitions out of this company and organic growth is running between 1% and 5% a year for the last 12 years. And you're paying what almost forty times earnings for the, for this business. And is it forty? Oh, it's right. very expensive. Wow. Okay. Um, this is one where the price you pay really matters. There's still a lot of free cash flow being spat out. Um, as I said, good quality, um, secure um, markets. The margins are falling a little bit, but um, I think the the market positions they have are defendable. Um, you have to be careful price. It needs to be a way cheaper. I'd actually be selling up here um, okay. and, um, and moving on. Well, let's uh, do a quick summary. We made it to the halfway mark and not much love from our two experts so far. We started with our stock of the day, Sims Group, two thumbs down. We then moved on to Sydney airports. And uh, look, the view there is it's just going to be a few years away before international travel picks up. And that's really, really obviously important for these guys. So Neither of the gents keen to dip their toe into the water just yet. Uh, We then had a look at at a New Hope Corporation, uh, a very um, well-managed mine. Uh, It's been around for a long, long time, but everyone hates it at the moment. For Gaurav, that's actually uh, a real opportunity. For Rob, though, uh, he prefers us uh, in in the mineral space, things like Oz Minerals or even the triple zero ETF. Uh, if you're after a little bit of uh, action there. So, uh, nope, we couldn't get that one over the line. We then went to Regis Resources in a gold miner, two thumbs down. Uh, Gaurav said, having been uh, uh, someone who's focused in this area for a long, long time, that the best way to forecast gold is to uh, lick your finger and put it up in the air. And I think he's about right on that. Um, The guys like uh, Gold Road, uh, preferred in that space, uh, Evolution, I think was mentioned, and Romelius, uh, Goral? Yep. Yep. Um, but but no, and Helen sent that one in, so uh, no love there as well. A2 Milk, what a fascinating company. Uh, just one of the best performers on the ASX until recently, but there looks as though there could be some structural changes afoot with the market dynamics in China, which is really what's been the, the, the key to their success in a lot of ways, uh, and uh, just too risky. And then we went and had a look at Iris, and it's a business that just is, although very well run and a lot of attractive characteristics, 
there's just not a lot of growth to speak of. So we couldn't get that one across the line. To get it across the line, what I'm really referring to here is when both of our experts give a thumbs up because when that happens, we add it to our own fantasy portfolio and regular viewers will know that we have been doing that thanks to our partner NabTrade since the start of the financial year. And uh, any stock that uh, gets those two thumbs up, we buy it. anything other than that. So even if someone likes it and one other person doesn't, even if it's a different panel to the two people who put it in, uh, it gets the boot. And uh, well, let's have a look. How has it gone? Uh, as you can see, lots of green on the screen just last week, ticking over that 30% mark financial year to date. It has been a great time uh, for the market, but still, nevertheless, that is that is not bad. I, I would be very happy if I could get 31% in that kind of time frame on a regular basis. Uh, the, the portfolio, uh, you can see at the bottom of the screen, in fact, there's a URL that if you want to check it out in great detail, but the last five stocks added, CSL and Alcidian, some really uh, smart investors were on the show last Wednesday. I can't remember their name, guys, but she's <laughs> really intelligent, good-looking, uh, funny people. Uh, one of them in particular. Definitely uh, funny. Definitely funny. Um, not to be taken too seriously, though. Uh, but Alcidian and CSL got added in. Uh, Globe, National Tire and Wheel, and Car Sales. Mm. Uh, and uh, if you want to see what got removed, uh, ALE Property Group. Uh, Webjet was taken out and Premier Investments. So yeah, look, I really think that um, you should go and check that out in more detail. None of it, of course, is specific financial advice, but if you're after a bit of a, a target-rich environment, if we could call it that, I think it's a really, really great place. And remember, all of our shows are on the uh, on the Ausbiz uh, website as well, so you can go back and dig into exactly what was said uh, because it's not always black and white. There is nuance, there is context, not all buys are created equal and not all sells are created equal. So make sure that you do yourself a favor uh, because while you can borrow an idea, you cannot borrow conviction. So uh, make sure that you do your own research. All right, gents, let's move right along. Gaurav, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, Eagers Automotive. Yeah. Now, this is a fascinating business. Uh, Jane's written in about this. The code is APE. Um, this, okay. Talk about a company with history. This goes back to 1913. I did a little bit wow. of homework on this. It listed <laughs> in 1957. It has paid a dividend every single year since it listed. I wow. think there's only a few companies that can make that claim yeah. and maybe only one or two that can say that they've never gone backwards. These guys, they're a car dealership business, of mm. course, so that's that's we'll probably give them a pass on that. But that is still a very, very impressive uh, history. And what's really interesting here is if you were to go back to the start of COVID and say, geez, what sectors, yes. what businesses are going to be just knocked for six yeah. under this environment? New car sales, right? And initially they were, right? This, this got savaged. Talk about opportunity, life. right? Yeah. And, uh, and yet they just, uh, not too long ago, had uh, their March quarterly result out. And it was just, they just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And even, okay, context matters. And it's always worth sort of uh, panning back out because even the worst company can have a nice run for a while. Shares are up 7x in 10 years for a car dealership. And the PE 17, what do you reckon, bro? This is, this is a really interesting business. Isn't it? For students of investing, this is the kind of business you really want to sink your teeth into and get to understand because there's so much to learn about this. We'll, mm. we'll keep this brief, but um, we first came across this because anecdotally, we, we came up in conversation that they're, well, how do these car dealers, how do the principals have so much money and such fancy houses when their businesses make no money? Yes. Well, we couldn't figure this out. Why do car dealers, why they, they look like crappy businesses, but the guys who run them are filthy rich. Like what's going on here? So Some, we did a, Something's going on. <laughs> so we did, we did a lot of work on the actual accounts on 
on car dealerships. And these guys do a very good job of hiding how profitable they are. So it looks like they're debt laden, barely able to cover their, um, their costs of doing business. In fact, almost all the debt is um, inventory finance. Floor plans. Floor plans, yep. yep. Um, floor finance it's called, yes. Yep. Um, so um, this is actually what you, what you think is a really capital intensive business is actually a super capital light business. Yeah. They actually put down very little money. They get um, dealer, in, a lot of their profit comes from um, OEM incentives and OEM payments. Um, so they help um, uh, puffer up the, the per car profit mm -hmm. um, and they actually come before, often before the car is sold or in, or in monthly installments. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got um, other people who actually pay for getting the car on the floor. The dealer actually doesn't put in many, very much capital at all. No. So in terms of your return on, on tangible, on, on sort of return on equity might look terrible, yeah. Yeah. but your return on, um, on, on sort of tangible capital that you have in the business is Insane. 20% or so. Like and it's they, they quite don't sell the car, they, just, they send a back ride and it wipes out the, the floor plan. It just, it just doesn't no cost them anything. Yeah, it's uh, it's only secured against the inventory. And, and the best margins are actually made um, in insurance, in finance, and in um, uh, repairs. Right. Um, a lot of the car dealerships... The car, the car itself doesn't give you much, does it? That's almost a passport to collecting other forms of revenue which are much higher margin. Mm. Um, a lot of the car dealerships now actually own their own um, panel beating services and their own workshops as well. AP Eager stands out for the amount of property it owns. It has about half a billion dollars worth of property on, the, on its books and there's a lot of optionality. The chairman here is super sharp. Mm. He's got a lot of ideas about how to monetize that property in the future. Um, I wouldn't be necessarily buying it here. Um, I just think this is a cyclical business. And again, cyclical businesses, you buy a bit cheaper, but put this on your watch list. Outstandingly run business, better than you think it is. Um, always have it on your watch list. And, and whenever there's a downturn, this should be the business you come Case to. in point on your screen uh, well, there at you the go. moment, yeah. uh, viewers. Just quickly, Rob, do you, do you agree or disagree? Um, yeah, look, this is actually a stock we, we know quite well. We actually put a recommendation out in February. It was around 13.70 with a 15.80 price target, which it hit last week. So made a nice little 18% on it. Uh, the idea is that when COVID first hit, people were thinking that, um, you know, with fears as to what your financial situation would be, you're not going to go out and buy new cars. Uh, and so people would look to do work on their existing cars or buy used cars. Uh, the business structure here is 220 um, uh, new car outlets, only 30 used, so very much skewed. Um, they bought Automotive Holdings Group back in 2019. so. They're by far the largest player in the space. They have 13% of the market. Next close is like 3%. So if you want it- shows you how fragmented it is mm. too, I suppose, yeah. Absolutely. And, but so what we've seen though, is because COVID's starting to become less of an issue now, people are going, you know what? I'm gonna be okay financially. I'm gonna keep my job. All of a sudden um, they're going, well, look, because there's all that demand for the used cars, the prices went up. The, the difference in price between the new and the used cars became very small. People went, you know what? I'm only paying a few extra thousand dollars for a brand new car. Yeah. I'll just buy new. Thanks very and much. And so with these guys being number one in the marketplace, 220 dealerships, um, the, the, the share price you've seen has just taken off. So, um, Is look, it too late? Yeah, look, the, the valuation is for us is we love the company. Um, we'd buy it on weakness. Now, we were sellers last week actually okay. around that. 1580 odd $16. So, so it's going to be hard to put a buy on it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, we can't be buyers of it today, just purely on a valuation. You know, if, if it continues for another six months, puts out new figures, 
Um, sure, maybe those figures give a new valuation which says, okay, it's cheap enough to get into. Yep. On the current figures we've got at the moment, we can't pay this price, mm -hmm. but we love the business, very good. Um, you know, Glad we picked it up when we did. And um, yeah, any kind of weakness, we'll buy it back again. All right, okay. Gaurav, um, poor guy, he's, he's missed me, I know. He's having a heart attack over there because we've got uh, four stocks and we've got 10 minutes. Yikes. So let's All let's right. do a bit of a power round here. We're gonna go to the real small cap by end of uh, the market here. Craig wants to know about Aerometrics. AMX, so it seems like a little bit of a mini mini near map. Is that is that fair Yep, statement? yep. So they, they've got a company called MetroMap, does aerial photography, 3D modeling using LiDAR. Uh, which is one of the big techs that's going through Amazon at the moment to find the Incan ruins and things like that. Yeah. <coughs> We're short, so I won't go into it. Okay. Um, but basically, that part of the business, the 3D modeling, is up 398%, um, you know, PCP, um, yes, up to $4.2 million, mm -hmm. uh, and up 28% quarter on quarter. Uh, major customers being Google and Microsoft. Uh, it was used in the New South Wales floods. Um, unfortunately, their other division, which is the aerial photography, is doing quite poorly. Revenue is declining by 30%. Okay. It's been really good if you bought it in the, in the IPO. It was IPO to the dollar, opened on day one at about 202, wow. up over 100%. It's drifted back a bit. Um, we'd probably just wait to see um, you know, how things play out with the um, aerial photography. But look, if you're wanting to have a bit of a punt mm -hmm. uh, and, and think that this 3D modeling will continue and that Google and Microsoft will keep uh, subscribing to their service, then sure, you could give it a go. All right, go ahead. I don't know very well. Um, it's, it's a no for me. This is a very crowded segment. Lots of, lots of companies offering the same um, service. Um, for the same reason we don't like Nimap. Nimap has enormous margins and their technological benefit just means they have to fly over a single location less. But yeah. people with, with lesser technology can still fly over at you know, two or three times as much and still earn sort of 30% yeah. margins. I mean, sure. there's, there's a lot of room here for competition still to emerge and to take um, to, to shrink that um, profit pool, which mm -hmm. is, in my view, too large in this sector. So um, sell for me. Yep, okay, fair enough. Um, what about class though? Um, mm. Liam wants to know. So these guys do uh, admin software for SMSF, 28% uh, of all SMSFs are administered through it according to their website. Um, but she hasn't done much for a while. Um, yeah. A pause before the next up or, or just a sign of things to come? We've owned this in the past. Um, they had yeah, a really too. good product um, and it got a lot of market share. Um, but they have attracted competition. There's a very good competitor. I think it's BGL. Yeah. Um, those guys are good. Yeah. Um, and I think um, a single product company trying to re revive the magic again and there's a lot of um, investment required, um, a lot of imagination. It's hard replicating your initial success, yeah. especially when you've attracted competition as well. The valuation doesn't look too difficult. Um, management has a decent track record. I just think, I, I just think it's, you're buying this really on faith. There's no real insight. There's no real investment case I can come up with mm -hmm. why this is going to do better. Um, the metrics, well, they look fine, but we don't buy buy stocks just on metrics because machines can do that. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I'm not interested in this, but um, I, I, I also would add that I don't know it all that well. Our, our analyst um, knows it much better and, and he's not interested. Yeah, he's not interested. Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, Rob, what do you reckon? Technically, this is the easiest sell that we've seen. Okay, uh, in fact, if you're a trader, just go and short it. Uh, it looks absolutely uh, abysmal. Um, that being said, on a fundamental level, um, they've made a number of purchases since January last year. They've gone out and acquired, um, uh, was it now Infinity, uh, which is a corporate compliance and a legal slash cloud document platform. Mm -hmm. uh, they acquired Smart Corp, which is online ordering and ASIC um, compliance systems. And they also acquired 
Reckon Docs, which is, again is a company registration trustee super fund. So they're trying to broaden um, what they do. They're trying to get involved in um, the side that's very um, dense with um, legalities and paperwork and people go, you know what, oh, this is just too pain. much of a pain in the, yeah. in the, you know what, I'll just go let these guys take care of it. So um, when they can successfully show that they've rolled this out, I'll be more interested. But right now, um, the market's telling us that you, know, you don't need to get involved in this. So this is an easy sell for us and I look for something else. An easy sell and even yep. a short. So there you go, yep. Liam, no, no mincing of words there. Hey Rob, what do you think about zero though? Uh, Jasper uh, wants to know, sales up 5X in five years, share price has done the same thing. This is one of those brilliant trades that I bought in really early and then thought I was clever by taking a, <laughs> I think a 20 or 30% profit at the time. Oh, and like, yeah, right. People don't say losses are painful. That is far more yeah. painful than yeah. any loss. And I don't know how many times I have to make that mistake. Um, I think one of the criticisms for the longest time was, oh, it's unprofitable. You know, the, it, it, the money was always going to come, but it's come. They're yep. profitable. I mean, they're free. I had a look. I, had, I really need to do some more work on this. The free cash flow exploded in the latest half. It was 10 times higher than the previous corresponding one. Is, yep. is, is this something that you'd buy? I mean, oh, valuations, the, the other side the, the of the valuation. Course, so yeah. Look, it's the price earnings multiples over 600 times. So they've only just gone to that profit level. Yeah. Um, as you said, uh, revenue is up 30%, EBITDA 50%, net profits 150% of the latest growth figures. Their forecast for net profits up another 1100%. Um, so it's definitely got some uh, big numbers and I think the share price is probably run on expectations they're gonna be able to execute. Um, look, huge, uh, rapidly growing business. They grew some <laughs> subscribers by 400,000. Wow. That's um, what I'm going to sport. In <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, margin's pretty good on their business, about 20%. So if you are you know, not needing a pacemaker or anything like that, you could maybe dip your toe in and, and pick some up. We'd probably look to see a little bit more weakness. It's probably a little bit too, um, yeah, too, too, much of, uh, too much excitement there for us. All right, okay, Goro, five minutes left on show. Mm. Uh, one more stock to go after this one, what do you reckon? Yeah, we've missed it as well. Um, and it's frustrating because we did miss it because we thought the PE was too high. Like we, we understood that um, profits don't really matter for now. They're reinvesting, getting new customers. Each customer's worth far more than they're spending to acquire them. Understood all of that. I don't know what happened, Andrew. We, we just missed it. Um, and psychologically, this is a difficult position when you've missed something at a cheaper price to come back to it at a higher price is hard. So hard. So hard, yeah. yeah. And I think there, we, we have some blockages there, but this is the premier SaaS business on the ASX. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that there is um, enthusiasm, too much enthusiasm in the tech sector at the moment. Some of these companies are being indiscriminately priced. Um, the good ones are being are expensive and, and they probably should be, but the crap ones are also expensive. Yeah. And there's yeah. been no discrimination. Um, you know, everyone I know is telling me to buy some either Bitcoin or some SaaS business. And <laughs> I, I'm just careful about buying software businesses in this climate. Put this one on your watch list. If there is ever reckoning in SaaS, this is the one you go to. Um, it is an outstanding business. Uh, I, I don't have anything else really to, to add. I, I wish I'd bought it earlier. I mean, we'd done all the work. We sort of knew it all. And sometimes those old lessons of evaluation you know you learn those very very young in your training as an analyst 
And as you get better at being an analyst, you gotta to learn to throw them away. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just hang on to them a bit too closely. And I think that's what's happened here. So I don't big error from us. I don't know how many times I've had to have that lesson, <laughs> but uh, apparently yeah. um, not enough. Um, let's, uh, last one here, Gabriel's written about uh, Aventus Group. So these are these mm. large format retail centers. So it's not a shopping mall, but these mm. big lots, we kind of see the big bulky kind of goods. And of course, uh, Brett Blundy is behind this. So, the magician. Uh, the magician. Yes. Um, again, a lot to say about this one as well, but uh, time is short. Would you buy it? Yes, I would. You would? This is... Um, you don't have to be that short. You can, <laughs> you can elaborate a little bit. This is actually a, a, a pretty decent business. They, um, their biggest customers are very large, secure, successful retailers. I think Bunnings... BCF and those kinds. Um, yeah, yeah uh, Baby Bunting, uh, yep. Bunnings, BCF, all these very successful companies retailers um, they're all in there they're in regional areas predominantly mm -hmm. and the footfall um, the profit per square meter the the vacancy rates um, I mean all those metrics have actually been performing remarkably well far better than in city dominated malls um, I think the market's onto it though this is now trades at a a, um, a premium to its um, net asset value but I would say that's that's fine this is actually a, a high quality collection of regional very large malls the troubling, the, the probably the weakest metric here is is the um, lease expiry. It's only three years of lease expiry, but it mm -hmm. is filled with retailers and mm -hmm. successful ones. So I'd expect those to roll over. Mm -hmm. Your yield is under five percent, which is not enormous, uh, but you've got good management here in good locations, housing good retailers. I think the risk here is actually quite quite minimal. Not bad for me. There's probably better opportunities, but if you're a conservative yield investor, um, this is fine. You you do perfectly fine. Nice one. Hey Rob, what do you reckon? We find it very difficult to buy a non-growth name at more than net asset values. Mm -hmm. So net asset value at the moment is $2.50. Stock's trading at $2.86. Okay. So for us, we'd need to have it on a pullback. Uh, as far as being in the retail space, uh, if that's the type of REIT that you're after, absolutely, it looks good. It's one of the, the better performers. Um, that's not where we're trying to get our clients to position themselves within REITs. Uh, we prefer a name like a Goodman Group where you're in that industrial and warehousing space, which we think will have long-term tailwinds um, with the move on to you know, digital footprints and, and things like that, where you still got to house all your products somewhere. Um, so you'll, you'll have that industrial space, and you'll have the warehousing. So um, Goodman Group over AVN at the moment, but if AVN pulls back and you can get it closer to NAV, sure. We got close to getting a, a stock onto the portfolio, but, but not quite. Let's not do a quite. quick summary of uh, the, the bottom five here. We started with uh, uh, AP Eagers Automotive, um, some really favorable things to say and uh, do yourself a favor and, and dig into that business because it is fascinating, but a bit too expensive, one to really buy when there's blood on the streets. Uh, Aerometrics, uh, a, a sort of near map, sort of wannabe, really impressive uh, growth here, but as Gaurav says, a very crowded market. Uh, and as Rob is sort of saying here, uh, might be a bit of a, worth a punt, but it's 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 something you want to wait to see if that aerial mapping business is going to come back a little bit. We then had a ch chat about uh, class, uh, too expensive, uh, too hard comments from uh, Gaurav. Uh, Rob, without mincing any words, said, you know, one of the easiest sells that you'll find. So uh, there's there's that. Um, <laughs> and we then went on to zero. What a phenomenal business. Uh, it's very hard to sort of criticize it too much. The one negative area here, of course, is on the valuation. So definitely keep that one on a watch list, but maybe not right now. It's more of a therapy, the therapy session, wasn't it, with, with Zero? It was, it was very cathartic. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it makes me feel better. Um, misery loves company. So, um, and I've, I've got a lot of company to give. Um, Aventus Group was the last one there. And we got a tick from uh, Gaurav on this one here. Very well run uh, business. Um, it's a little bit expensive. 
uh, for Rob. Um, I think Gaurav acknowledged that one there as well, but for a long-term holder, potentially worth having a look at. Guys, that was an awesome show. Thank you so much, Robert Corlett from Macro. Always good to see you. Thanks for having me. He told me he wasn't very well prepared for this show. Yeah. But I think, man, you did nailed it. I wish I could do so well on such short notice. And Gaurav Sodi from The Intelligent Investor, always some great insights. Thank you so much, mate. Thanks, guys. Uh, and remember, that is uh, our show. Uh, any stocks you'd like us to uh, cover, send us an email, thecall at osbiz.com.au. Uh, we've got a few there, but um, we always love to get some more suggestions and we'll do our best to get to them. You can also use uh, Twitter at uh, OzBizTV. So uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We will be back after a short break. Thanks for your company. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.